if you're listening to this right now, start raising capital right now. If you don't have, if you do not have a deal, people ask all the time, should I raise capital first or should I find a deal first? You, you need to have a sample deal packet done. And that's what, that's what you go and pitch to potential future investors for yourself. You show them like, Hey, here's a, here's an amazing opportunity that I'm, I would love to offer you. If, if we find something like this, when we find something like this, are you interested in at what level and, and what's your timing look like and have an investor questionnaire for them and get them in your pipeline because you're going to find something. The longer you do this and the, if you never quit, you just keep on plugging through. I know that first deal is really hard for people to get through and it was for us, but when you do, it gets easier from there. And as, when, you're, when you're prepared with enough investors Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here's your host, Annette Talee. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Talee, and my guest today is Eric Upchurch. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I am very excited to have you on the show. I've been watching you in social media for the last year, and uh, I love what you're doing with your veteran programs. But let me, let me tell everybody a little bit about you before we, got, we get into that. Eric is an Army Special Operations veteran who grew up in central Iowa before attending college in California. He has a passion for education, educating the military community on how to create long-term wealth through real estate investing while personally investing across the country for the last 14 years. Eric serves as a co-founder of Active Duty Passive Income, ADPI, and is a senior managing partner with ADPI Capital. Most recently, Eric Tim has opened a nationwide, first-of-its-kind, 100% employee-owned mortgage branch, real estate brokerage, as well as an insurance company, all with the goal of serving the ADPI community of military real estate investors. That is amazing. <laughs> Man, it's been a whirlwind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so tell me, how did you get into real estate as a, as a military person? How yeah. did you end up in real estate? So uh, like a lot of military members, we kind of fall into real estate investing without knowing what we're doing. Um, we have this amazing loan product called a VA loan that a lot of us would use, um, which allows you to buy up to a fourplex, so one to four units with zero money out of pocket. You may have some closing costs, but, um, but you can oftentimes negotiate the closing costs with the seller. And there's no mortgage insurance. There's no PMI. Normally, if you put zero down on a place or, you know, you'd have mortgage insurance, right? So yes. with a VA loan product, there is no, no, um, uh, no mortgage insurance. So it's a very attractive product for somebody who's making, you know, in the military, we're making 30 grand as a young E4, E5 in the military, you're not making a whole lot of money, you know? Um, so it's great to, to be able to have that product to use. And I did, uh, I was in Iraq actually on my first tour and my wife and I, um, bought our first new construction home. That was in 2006 and we used the VA loan. It was $150,000 home in Savannah, Georgia. And, um, I had no idea. I, I wasn't thinking of this as an investment property at all, but, uh, you know, when I got out of the military several years later, we realized that a house that you buy in 2006 with 100% uh, loan to value 
you know, it, it's not much of an investment property at that point. So it was tough for us to rent out and cash flow. We ended up making, I think, like $80 a month net, um, which was great. Basically, I just I knew I couldn't sell it because I didn't have enough equity in it to sell it. And I just figured, okay, well, let's just try and make some cash flow and just wait till the market, you know, goes up and whatever will be, will be fine. So um, that's kind of how I fell into it. But then I started realizing like every time the air conditioner would go out and in Savannah, I mean, you're in Florida. So like anytime the air conditioner breaks, it's like, all right, there's another $400 to fix the thermostat and the air conditioner. Okay. So imagine that on a property that you're only making $80 a month on it's, it's tough to cash flow on an annual basis on a property like that. So I thought to myself, man, maybe there's something to this. And then I kind of, I kind of just started researching a little bit and, um, you know, stumbled across, uh, the purple Bible and I did, uh, um, a, um, a single family fix and flip course and just kind of dabbling a little bit. And, you know, that's kind of just where I started. I did, didn't know what I was doing and nobody was telling me what I was supposed to do. And certainly while I was in the military, nobody told me, about the amazing power of the VA loan and how to use it and how to analyze a property. No one was doing that. So now we're doing that. So, so how, how did you come up with that idea of, of focusing on, on that niche on, on helping the military? Well, so all of the, uh, the founders of ADPI are, are veterans or active duty still actually our CEO is still active duty Marine. And um, so we're basically just putting together, we're, we're, primarily an education platform and community. Our Facebook group has 11,000 members and we have a 93% engagement rate. And it's just, it's insane in there. It's awesome. Tons of value. And then we have a military real estate investing academy and multifamily academy for military. So now we're educating our members on things that we wish we knew. We, we wrote the book, a number one bestseller on Amazon called military house hacking, which is free um, on our website. But it's, we did that because we, we just were compiling our brains and saying, man, had I known that while I was in the military or even after the military, I would have done that thing. So um, we're just a group of people who said, let's share what the knowledge we have and our experiences in real estate investing. And all of a sudden, you know, we have this, this massive, you know, growing company now, and we have a financial services division with all the stuff you talked about offering whole life insurance and mortgages and, and even commercial lending now and all these really cool things because we built an amazing community first. So it, it was a, is a company built on just wanting to share our collective experiences and to help other people realize what we can do. That's really it. Awesome. The deal. All right. So let's talk about the deal. What deal do you want to talk about today? Uh, I think just to, for simplicity's sake, um, uh, we closed on an 80 unit um, multifamily property in Indiana uh, in November. So okay. we'll start with that one. Perfect. Okay. So what type of asset class was it? And you already go, gave me the location. So yeah. <clears throat> so it's outside of Indianapolis. It is a C plus market. Um, and yeah, we just, uh, 80 units and has a really good story, had a really good story to it. It's in a tertiary market, which is a little scary to some people. Uh, a lot of people in 2019, especially were, you know, oh man, I need to be in a primary market or a major metropolitan area. And I don't want to go outside of there because, you know, people are moving into downtown and, you know, high rises are going up and all this stuff. But 
you know, you can invest in tertiary markets as long as the property has a good story. And that's what we were looking for. And that's what we found. But how do you gauge that a tertiary market is a good market? Yeah. So you, you look at population growth. I mean, job growth and population growth is always one thing that people look for. So we're, while we're, we're in a tertiary market, we're also in a market that we could see it's only a town of 5,000 people. But we, we could see that the smaller, it was absorbing the smaller towns nearby, even only 5,000 people, the towns of 800 and 1,000 were starting to move to this town. And so we were like, okay, and it's, and it's you know, 10 miles away from a town with 60,000 people in it. And so you, you can see that there's, you know, some absorption in that town of these smaller communities. And we also did some due diligence on what was going on locally and found that they're building a brand new elementary school across the street. And if that stuff is going on, you know, the, the town is not dying. The town is, is thriving, you know. So I'm just looking at a lot of factors like that. Excellent. All right. So how did you find this property? So one of my partners, uh, Markian, and his mother had, um, had purchased a 56 unit nearby. And that same broker found this deal for us. So it was really just broker relationships, um, you know. My, my partner happened to have a deal in that market already. He already had a relationship with that broker. And like my mentor says all the time, one broker, one good broker can make you wealthy. So stick with a broker, close a deal, and then they'll start feeding you more deals, you know, down the road. So. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So what was the listing price and how did you negotiate it? Listing price, I believe, was $3.75 million for 80 units, and we uh, ended up at uh, $3.25 million. Okay, that's that's pretty good discount. So yeah. how did you negotiate that? Uh, well, it was actually pretty tough to negotiate because, and, and what makes this deal a good deal um, was, was the story, as I mentioned. The owner was, was he lived overseas, and he had no debt service on the property. And so he wasn't, he wasn't adding value to the property. He wasn't raising rents. He wasn't doing a lot of the deferred maintenance. Um, he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't keeping up with it very well. So negotiating the deal was challenging because every time we would say one thing, like what is the, are they open to seller financing? We would have to wait three days for the response, you know, for our, our times to sync up and for the broker to communicate back and forth. And, so it, was, it actually took us six months, uh, five months or so to close this deal, partially because of communication and partially just some due diligence stuff that we had to figure out. So um, yeah, so that's uh, all right. just back and forth with the, with the, with the broker and the seller and um, you know, just getting to a point where everyone felt comfortable. So how much, how much did you end up getting uh, for 3.25, 80 units? How much was the price per unit? That's like 42000 a unit or something like that. And what were the rents that uh, you so, bought it? Yeah, interesting thing. The rents were, there are like nine different styles of units in this 80 unit, which is kind of nuts. To, it's not just like a two bedroom, one bath, a one bedroom, one bath. It has four, a, a, a three bedroom, a two bath townhouse style that's 1,460 square feet. Mm -hmm. all the way down to a one bedroom and townhouse meaning upstairs and downstairs, right? So a large unit all the way and then different configurations of that. And then, you know, a two bedroom flat and a two bedroom townhouse. And then there's one bedroom flats and then all these. So kind of just a lot of 
variables. Although from the outside of the buildings, you couldn't tell they're just brick and have, you know, um, a nice facade on them and stuff. But, um, so they ranged, I mean, the, it was a wide range, but what we recognized was most of the units were about a hundred dollars or more. I mean, we, we are super conservative with our underwriting. So we were like, okay, we could probably bump rents up a hundred bucks uh, per door. And some of them are closer to $200 a door, which is, you know, pretty great. And so we're able now, even through Corona and all the stuff that's going on, uh, we were able to work. We actually just got up to, we increased the, the uh, vacancy by 10% this month, which was um, increased the occupancy. Not the yeah, vacancy. I was saying like vacancy. <laughs> Look, yay for us. We increased the vacancy by 10%. No, we increased the occupancy uh, by, by 10%. So we hit 90%. Um, 92% or something this month. So awesome. Cool. That is, that is, you know, so exciting when you are starting to reach the goals and you're seeing the, the product of your work, because sometimes at the beginning, you're not seeing it because you're putting a lot of effort, mm -hmm. but then you don't see, you don't see the, re the results quickly. Yep. All right. So how did you fund the deal? So we uh, just did traditional non-recourse uh, Freddie Mac SBL. Um, and I, so one of the things that I wanted to do last year on all the deals uh, that we did, I wanted to check a lot of boxes for me. You and I talked about checking boxes and stuff a little bit, but um, I wanted to raise capital for a deal. I wanted to, um, I wanted to be, I wanted to have earnest money risk capital in a deal. I wanted to be a guarantor on a deal. I wanted asset management, investor relations. I wanted to check a lot of boxes on different deals. And so, um, so I was able to be a guarantor um, on, on that deals on, so Freddie Mac SBL. And so just find, um, agency debt and then, uh, and then we syndicated. So it was a, a 506 C. So, um, accredited investors and we did some advertising and we got the, uh, we raised 1.25 million on our first, first deal together as a team. That, that is amazing. How long did, you, did it take you to raise that money? Way too long. If you're <laughs> listening to this right now, start raising capital right now. If you don't have, if you do not have a deal, people ask all the time, should I raise capital first or should I find a deal first? You, you need to have a sample deal packet done. And that's what, that's what you go and pitch to potential future investors for yourself. You show them like, Hey, here's a, here's an amazing opportunity that I'm, I would love to offer you. If, if we find something like this, when we find something like this, are you interested and at what level and, and what's your timing look like and have an investor questionnaire for them and get them in your pipeline because you're going to find something. The longer you do this and the, if you never quit, you just keep on plugging through. I know that first deal is really hard for people to get through and it was for us, but when you do, it gets easier from there. And as, when you're, when you're prepared with enough investors, um, you're going to have, less of a difficult time. And one of the things, one of the challenges that we had to overcome was be not being prepared for that capital raise. Uh, we thought we were going to be okay, but we didn't, we'd never gone through that process before. And we didn't understand that, um, that raising capital is oftentimes like herding cats. And, and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory or mean way. It's, it's a lot of communication is what I mean by that. It's, it's, you present the opportunity with a webinar and then you follow up and then you have, you know, you, you follow up several times with investors and, and, and you really get their attention and they say, yes, I'm committed. And then they have to sign documents and then they have to wire. And then you're coming up closer to the closing date and you're really trying to get things in line. So 
but I'd urge your, your listeners not to get discouraged with that. It's part of the thing. This is why you should be surrounding yourself by a team or a network of people that can support you. I called my mentor and I was stressed and I said, you know, we've got, we're $400,000 short. What am I going to do? We, we got to close this thing. And I think 30 days, how am I going to find this money? I feel like we're tapped out. And he just said, keep moving, keep calling, keep doing webinars, keep emailing people. It'll happen. And it did. So you, you, surrounding yourself by the right people, I think is a, is a critical piece of that, but also be smart about your, um, your purchase and sale agreement, your PSA, when you get, when you get through the LOI and, or, you know, as part of the LOI, um, we build in, we say 45 business days to close instead of 45 days. And if they make a scratch out business, the business days, that's fine. We'll go to 45 days. But if they don't, we've got a couple extra weeks built in there that, that'll help us out. We also build in, uh, two 30 day extensions and our money doesn't go hard until we exercise one of the extensions. And then it's only half of the earnest money. And then on the second extension, it's the other half of the earnest money. So they feel comfortable knowing that now we're like really invested in it. And, um, you know, we had to exercise both extensions on, on this deal. And it was just, you know, something that we had to go through and now it's an amazing asset and, uh, and it's doing, doing really well. We just had to really plug along, get through it, go through the motions one time and just stick to our guns. So, so what, what do you think that was the, the highest return on your time when raising money? What, what, how did you get the most investors to invest with you? What do you think was that activity that you did or? Yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's phone calls. Um, if you can, if you, oh, two things, I guess, phone calls and in person, if you can get in front of your investors, so they know, you know, then they get that vibe from you that you're serious and, and all that stuff. Do zoom calls with your investors instead of phone calls. If you can, if they're open to that. Um, and so I just, I feel like there's uh, it's, it's not them watching a webinar necessarily. That's going to get them hooked in. It's you, it's, it's them getting, you get on the phone with them and them having the opportunity to ask you hard questions. And when you have a, um, an answer for those hard questions, they can take you more seriously. And then, you know, you're going to follow up. And if they say, Hey, I had my, my lawyer look at, look at the, um, the PPM and he had this suggestion on the operating agreement or had this question about that. If you go to your attorney, your transactional attorney and, and have them give draft a response to that investor, they're going to take you more seriously. And we have, you know, a, a few high profile investors that that was the case. They wanted to, to their attorney to look over the documents and make sure that they were solid. They had questions about them. We addressed them with our attorney and returned the response. And then we got, you know, got them to invest in the opportunity. So that's have to awesome. take it seriously. All right. So you mentioned that this uh, 80 unit was a, a checkbox for you guys with a lot of things that you wanted to do in house. So before this indication, how did you, um, what was your investing? You were doing um, joint ventures or? No. So last year was my first full year. 2019 was my first full year in, uh, in multifamily. And the first two deals um, I was involved in, um, in asset management, investor relations and capital raise. So I checked some boxes there, like really just get, I was getting proficient through, you know, the coaching program I went through and just my mentors and the community that I'm in and through proficiency and, and learning the language, you know, just being immersed in it. I felt like it was time to implement, which is 
saying yes to an opportunity to raise capital and be part of the, the asset management team and investor relations. And, um, and, you know, I just, I knew enough to talk to investors at that point. I didn't know who I was going to raise money from. I don't have rich friends. I'm a kid from central Iowa. Who do I know? You know, <laughs> but, uh, but I have a phone full of people. And I actually don't know where they came from, but there's a phone full of people. So I just said, okay, I, I'm going to go down through my list literally and just start calling people and seeing if they'll pick up and talk, talk to them about um, offering them an opportunity. And, and remember when you're raising money, you're not asking for, you're not asking for money. You're not raising money. You're offering an opportunity because ultimately that's what it is. You know, I, I invest in syndications as a limited partner as well, because I understand my money has to keep moving. And if I don't have a deal and money comes back to me from something else, I need to get it back out there working for me. So same thing uh, for a doctor or a lawyer or an NBA player or whoever it is, whoever you end up working with, who has a very active lifestyle and active job. And they, they, need, they need opportunities to put their money to work for them. Um, and that's what we're providing. So felt comfortable with that. But I, I really recommend the first, so the first two deals that we did uh, that I did were with other people. There were co-sponsors, people that, that had a lots of, had lots of experience. So, um, I felt comfortable doing that and added my piece and you, you really have to find on a, on a, on a pie, right. On a pie chart, find out where you fit in on a team. And if you're adding value to people and they know who you are and they see what your skill set is, they can invite you in. And if you say yes, and just take the challenge and do it, you'll be a valuable asset. And, and if you're working with other people who are experienced, it's a great way to get started. And then when you have that level of experience, you can go out on your own and, and build your own team with your, your friends and your colleagues and people you've networked with and all that stuff. So. That is awesome. And I heard you talk in a, I, I don't remember if it was a, probably an event that you started on your first uh, in multifamily investment. You started with zero money of your own. So that's yeah, I, how you do it, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't have any of my own money in, in these uh, almost 600 doors and for various reasons. I, but, you know, the earnest money I put down, I put 50K down on all of our deals, you know, that depending on the size, but 50 to 100K of my own cash down as risk capital. Um, and then, you know, that, that's, that's my investment in the deal basically is that's, that's a risk. And down the road, I mean, that's when you're getting started down the road. I'm absolutely going to be investing in my own deals because I want those returns. I want those returns as a limited partner on deals that I'm operating. So, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in the next year, two years, I mean, coming up this year, we're definitely going to be investing in our own deals because that gives your investors, that's, a, that's extra. That's, that's amazing because then you can say, yeah, like my money's in this deal. My mom's money's in this deal. What, you know, those types of things. Like I've got deals that my uncle's in. So that helps, you know? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, but, but what I was trying to, to go is that you can start with no money. Uh, and yeah. this is the way you do it. Networking and being part of a team and adding value to the team. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're great at sourcing deals, finding deals, um, that is one way that you can get into a multifamily deal. You might own 5% of the general partnership for finding the deal. That's it. You don't have to have a special license for that. You just have to be good at finding deals. So figure it out. Talk to brokers and be great at networking. 
Um, you can also be great at asset management. Maybe you have a background in property management and you want to move into multifamily and uh, buying multifamily. You can offer your expertise. I have friends that do this. They're in property management and now they're part of the asset management team. You can own up to 40, 55% of the general partnership because the work starts when you actually close the deal. So asset management is oftentimes a large chunk of the general partnership. So, um, yeah. And then, and then risk capital, you know, technically you're using your money. I mean, you could, I've used a HELOC to as, as earnest money down. I've used cash as earnest money down and that comes back to you. You raise that ultimately through equity, through your equity. But, um, but so that money comes back to you. So technically no money in the deal either. Once you close that gets, that comes right back to you. So um, yeah, there's several ways that you can get into a deal uh, without any of your own money. Awesome. All right. So going back to the deal. Uh, so what is the exit strategy for this property? We are buyers of real estate. So our goal, I mean, you always have plenty of options, right? Um, you can, uh, you can have several different types of, of capital events. You can refinance, you can even do a supplemental refi halfway through. Um, but five years is basically refinance, uh, pay out our investors, which looks a whole lot like doubling as close to doubling their investment as possible in five years. And then uh, we hold the sucker. We just hold the property. Um, everyone on our team is on board with that idea that we just hold it long-term. Some of them aren't going to work out that way. And a lot of people, um, you know, I've seen people make great money in six months, 18 months, um, three years, five years. It just depends on the asset and and how much value there is to add. But our mentality right now is buy and hold. Uh, we own mobile home parks as well and, and have a bunch of offers out on, on some more pads right now too. So those are great assets to have. Awesome. I like that. I am also a buy and hold. Yeah. Uh, but now that I'm, I'm going into larger multifamily, I'm thinking, I think if I find something that I like, I would sell the duplexes. Before I was like, I will never sell the duplexes. Yeah. But you know, if, if it's going to trade up into something better, I, I am open to it. I wrestle with that too. I have a portfolio of single family properties, uh, small, but still I, I I'm always like, uh, well, a tenant moves out and then it's a hundred percent vacant. Then I'm floating the bill, you know, and I, and I don't take any money out of, out of that, that I, out of those properties anyway, I just kind of let it roll, you know, let it accumulate or whatever. So it's fine. I've got the money in the account. Um, but it's still, I just, it's that now that I have multifamily, I'm kind of like, ah, gosh, I could just get rid of those. But you, you, if you ask somebody who's been investing for 30 years, one thing that they regret, <clears throat> a lot of people will say, I regret selling a portfolio that I used to have, you know, that was doing fine and I sold it because 30 years down the road, and most people don't have foresight for that, but 30 years down the road, you've got all of this, you've got all of this equity. You've got cash just sitting there. Could, that could pay for your grandkids' college or who knows what. People at people our age aren't thinking about that right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> We're thinking about headaches and cash flow is what we're thinking about. So, Well, I, I did buy my first duplex thinking about my kids' uh, college education. Yeah. That was like the, you know, we're not doing a college plan because I thought it was just it didn't make either. sense. Yeah. So I was like, let's buy a duplex and that's going to be, you know, we can either sell it at the time or we can just use the cash flow and pay for the, the college education. Yeah. And that's how it kind of started for us. It's good. It's a way to do it. Productivity hack. 
All right. So I want to ask you now an awesome question that I, I, I'm really passionate about is I want you to share with us a productivity hack that has helped you get where you are now. Okay. So our team is remote. We work all across the country. We have W2 regular jobs. We have uh, where a couple of us are active duty still. So one thing we use is a communication tool and my team when they hear this, they're going to laugh because we kind of laugh at it, but it's a, it's an app called Voxer and it operates very similarly to WhatsApp, but it's a tap to talk walkie talkie with a big fat button in the middle. You can text on it or you can push the push and hold the button or whatever you want to do. It's just a walkie talkie. We're military people. So walkie talkies make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, it just works really well and you can create all these different channels and stuff. And so we can compartmentalize our conversations really well and we can be anywhere, whenever, anywhere in the world, our mastermind students who are in Afghanistan and South America and Japan can talk to us that way anytime they need something. So to us, it just, uh, communications is critical for our, for us and for our community. Uh, for the military community in general. And um, that, that works really well. We, it's a communication hack for us. Awesome. I like that. Expert tips. All right. So now we are on the part of the show where you are going to uh, share with us three expert tips. Right. And uh, what are you going to share with us today? Uh, I think I will go with something that I am very passionate about, which is what I just call the success formula. And literally you probably hear a lot of people saying something very similar if you're listening to this right now, but I'll dive in a little bit on this. So um, the success formula is, and I promise you, you will find success if you do this in whatever niche you're in. The first thing you need to do is learn all you can. So that could be podcasts like this. It could be books. It could be, um, you know, just a, a myriad of things, internet searches, whatever you want to do, right? There's, you can learn. Coaching programs are great. So get a coach, get a mentor and learn because you have to know, you have to be immersed. You have to, if you really want to be proficient, like if I want to go to, uh, to learn Spanish, I don't, I don't, I'm not just going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go to Guatemala for a month and immerse myself, right? Or, or immerse myself in, in training, you know? And so you really need to learn through immersion. Okay, so the next thing is um, you want to network. Network your butt off, okay? Go to real estate investing meetups. If you don't have one near you, you probably do because there's one everywhere now. But if you don't have one near you, start one. And if you're not the expert, bring one. So you become, you know, a subject matter expert or an authority anyway in your, in your local market if you just start a meetup. But go to meetups, go to conferences. I'm across the country at conferences as much as I possibly can. And I cannot wait to get back out there uh, talking to people and networking. So network your butt off. The second one or the third one, um, I'll say it, a lot of people lump this into networking, but it's adding value to others. The more you add value to people, the more, um, the more progress you'll make because ener energy, right? It, it, we are all made of energy and vibrations are happening around us. And I really just believe in that. It's like you put out whatever you receive and you receive whatever you put out. So, so add as many, as much value to other people go to these conferences when you are networking with an intention to help 
people that you're talking to, not just get something from them, but what are, listen to their problems and try to figure out a way that weekend to solve their problem or a month down the road because you're taking notes and you're entering notes into your CRM. So, so, so far learn, um, network your butt off, um, and add value to others. And then the last piece of that is take action. If you don't take action, none of it works. So, uh, learn, network, add value to others, take action. If you do those things over and over with the intention to be 1% better daily, success will hunt you down and you don't have to worry about all of the details. Awesome. I resonate with you so much. And if people are listening to the podcast, they, they hear me saying network, take action, add value. It's like, you know. If you hear people say that all the time, there's truth to it because it works absolutely. so well. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I want, oh, I wanted to talk to you about your, um, you have a, 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 an organization that helps veterans find or build uh, tiny homes. And I wanted you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So we, we uh, it's not our organization, but we do support them. It's a nonprofit um, that is all privately funded. It's called Veterans Community Project, and they build tiny homes, tiny home communities for homeless veterans. And um, it basically the way that works is they, they'll take anybody off the street and they will help them. Or they can live in these tiny homes and they're beautiful tiny homes, by the way. They're all different colors. They have sidewalks that weave in between them that are curving that look like streets with street lights. And it, it's, it's like a little mini city. And um, the, the units have vinyl plank flooring and granite countertops and stainless steel appliances. And it really makes a veteran feel like they're special. And um, they can live in those units for up to two years in one day. And what we know now is that if, if a homeless veteran is, um, has, is, is given housing uh, for 18 months, they have a 95% success rate of staying off the streets. So Veterans Community Project is something I stumbled across in December when I was keynote speaking at a, at a meetup in uh, Kansas City. And they started their first uh, community in Kansas City, which was 49 tiny homes. They've since completed that one. They also build a 5,000 square foot community center on the site also. So veterans can get haircuts and vocational rehab and just, you know, all this learn trade, learn, learn, uh, you know, fixing your credit and all stuff like that. Right. Um, but now they're in Longmont, Colorado. And then here's a big announcement. A really cool thing happened to me yesterday. One small connection that I made uh, with a, a gentleman named Mark Ruiz. And he has uh, coordinated with Veterans Community Project now just because I made one networking uh, move. He's now committed to building 30 to 50 in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Amazing. So, yeah. And there's 3,000 cities lined up across the U.S. to follow suit, you know, one city at a time. So really excited about it. We're currently raising $35,000 uh, to build one of these homes. We have 20,000 raised so far. So. That, that's amazing. So how can people connect with you? And if they want to donate to this amazing um, sure. yeah. uh, charity, how can they connect with you? If, um, if you've got a giving heart or just want to help veterans uh, or just want to reach out to me, you can always um, find me on Instagram at Real Eric Upchurch. You can find me. My email address is eric at activedutypassiveincome.com. Awesome. Or Facebook. I'm on the Facebook all the time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you. I, I thank you for sharing so much information, and I love uh, the the community that you're building and the help that you're giving to all the uh, military people. 
so thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, I hope everybody had uh, learned a lot today. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, like, share. And if you want to watch it, you can also head to YouTube and you can watch the podcast over there. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, brought to you by Tali Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.